Happy New Year, Church. I'm Richie McCulloch, a Covenant member at First Presbyterian Church. This week, we begin a new series, Ruin to Restoration. We will discover the power of God's redemptive work to bring redemption, renewal, and restoration to all of life. Every relationship can be restored. Every circumstance can be redeemed. Every sin can be paid for. Every dark corner can be lit with gospel hope through the light and love of our living God. This series will study gospel restoration from Isaiah 40 to 66, and this morning we will begin our series by studying Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 8. Hear the eternal and powerful word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of God stands forever. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it, Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And now if you'll join me in the responsive reading. If you missed the first part. All, all flesh is grass in all its glory like the flower of the field. Fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thank you, Richie. Thanks be to God. If you don't have your Bibles open, please go ahead and open them. You uh, have already noticed that our weekly response is, comes from this passage. Uh, it is quoted in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter. It's quoted um, by us every week as we come to the word of the Lord because we believe there's nothing more powerful uh, to get to know the Lord of the word than studying his word. The Spirit of God is pleased to work through the word of God to transform believers more into the image of God so that we can live more faithfully for the glory of God. Do you believe that this morning? Because we're going to study his word and we want to come with that level of expectation that God wants to meet with you, God wants to speak to you. I add my greetings to those that you've already heard this morning. It is a joy to gather and worship with you. And I do hope as we begin this new year that you have decided to uh, begin freshly uh, to look and re-engage God's word. If you get anything out of this service, I hope that you are rejuvenated, revived, and restored in refocusing your life and your perspective around God's word. He wants to walk with you daily. Uh, we hope that you have a daily Bible reading plan. If you don't, uh, you can find one really easily. Please talk to me. Uh, we just long to feed one another that way. Now, some people head into a new year and they make New Year's resolutions. Anybody in here making any New Year's resolutions? 
A few of you all did, most of you all did, and you're not raising your hand because maybe you're like me and you already broke some of them, right? I think New Year's resolutions are just given to us so every year we're reminded how much we need God's grace and forgiveness, right? Because we make them and we break them. We make them uh, to break them in some cases. This year, I wanted to play it safe, so I just made two resolutions. I'll be honest with you, transparent. First one, don't eat any more wheat thins. I, I have a problem with wheat thins. You laugh, but it, I'm serious. I just made a confession and you laughed at me. So don't eat wheat thins, and I thought, I need to succeed with this, and so I decided to also make a resolution to not jump out of any planes. Needless to say, I've already broken one of those resolutions. Yesterday, I went skydiving with Callan and Bob, and we jumped out of a plane, and you can imagine it was very, very scary. This is a picture of me uh, seeing my death imminently. (laughs) I only had my mouth open because I was hoping people would throw wheat thins into it. Get that screen off there. I'm getting ready to pass out again. So I (laughs) I used to think that I was scared of heights. Now I understand that I'm just a scared man of hitting the ground really hard. That's what it is, right? I mean, here's the thing about gravity. It always works. It's a natural law, you know? The reality is that if you try to break the law of gravity, it's going to break you. As we begin this new series, uh, From Ruin to Restoration, we're going to be studying Isaiah chapters 40 to 66. If you don't have your Bibles open, please open them. We're going to flip around a little bit. We're really going to get into the Word. But it is written to a people who thought that they would test God's law. God called his covenant people to himself and to set them apart and to guide them into his grace and his mercy and his purpose. He gave them the law. But God's people tested it. They broke God's covenant plans and partnership. And in the same way that if we try to test the law of gravity, we will be broken, God's people broke the covenant and it ended up breaking them. They were sent into exile when God called his people to himself. He was really clear with the covenant relationship. On the one hand, they would experience very rich blessing in covenant relationship with the Lord. On the other hand, if they decided to break the covenant, you can go back to Deuteronomy 28, 29, Deuteronomy 30, Leviticus 26, 27, and you can see that there are blessings, but there's also curses of the covenant. That when God's people broke the, curse of the, broke the covenant, they would experience a curse, the opposite of blessings. One of those would be experiencing exile. Exile is pictured here in the southern kingdom of Judah, who Isaiah was called to prophesy to, was taken in exile in 586 BC. It's historical fact. You can read about it all through the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 25 is a very clear place to start. But the prophet Isaiah actually lived during the reign of King Hezekiah and then King Manasseh, which was about 115 years before the actual exile. And so Hezekiah, I mean Isaiah, who prophesied under the reign of Hezekiah, was speaking to a people who were far off, a people who were experiencing ruin, a people who were away from their homeland, a people whose heritage had been burned, a pe- people whose hopes had been dashed. 
And you can read about the difficulty of the season of exile in different psalms, like Psalm 137. You can write that down, read it later. It really paints a clear picture of the sadness, the weeping, the ruin of exile. The, the prophet Isaiah uh, was, uh, t- we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, that he was martyred as he was a prophet. Probably under the reign of Manasseh, probably about 681 BC. So even then, just under 100 years before the actual exile, he was sawed in half for speaking truth to the church, right? To the people of God. But these words are spoken to people who are in exile. And you might say, well, I don't know if I can really identify. This is going to be a really distant series. I can already tell. Let me draw you into some points of application. All of us can identify with situations where we have more fear than faith, more questions than answers. All of us can identify with difficulties from the past that we would love to be restored and redeemed, present difficulties, battles that we're fighting that we would love to be resolved and experience peace, future fears and uncertainties, maybe the consequences of our sins or our actions that are catching up to us that we would love to know would be redeemed and restored and be used for good rather than difficulties. All of us can ask questions with the exiles living in a world of ruin, a life where we experience ruin personally. We can ask the question, does God even care? Is God able to help, to redeem, to make right, to restore? And if he's able, is he willing? The resounding answer all through the prophet's words to the people of God, not only to those who were in exile, but throughout all time, the resounding word is yes. God is able. He does care. And he is willing. And we're going to see today that the various places of security and hope that we have are centered on his work and his word. His work and his word. And that necessitates that if we want to be a people who experience restoration, that we've got to turn from those things that we believe will bring those that are outside of God's work and outside of his word. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask that you pray with me, and then we're going to study the word of the Lord together. Are you in for this? Are you ready to dive in? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your promises are true. Thank you for your work. Thank you that we belong to you because of what you've done for us. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah and how you used him to speak to your people. You used him to speak to your people who were far off from his present state of speaking. And Lord, as we are further off, we ask that your same spirit, your same eternal word would work its purposes in us and through us. We ask, Lord, that we would know you and your work more fully, to be centered on it, that we might leave here to serve you more faithfully and fruitfully. Holy Spirit, speak. Please eliminate the distractions of our heart and especially the distractions of the one who is sharing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we're going to see today, just two quick points uh, that we're going to see. The first is that God comforts his people through his work. God comforts his people through his work and he moves us from this place of condemnation to a place of restoration and renewal. He does that uh, through, uh, shows his work through comforting us. He, he, look, at, look at the first few words, comfort, comfort. It's repeated by the prophet. And the word, you know what it means? Comfort. 
right? It is God speaking to his people who find themselves uh, in places that they didn't expect to be, who find themselves in circumstances that are more difficult than they anticipated, who who find themselves uh, in a place where the consequences of their decisions and their rebellion have caught up with them. They're experiencing the judgment and the discipline of God. But God didn't break his covenant relationship with them, even though they broke their obligation responsibility. In fact, he moves towards them and he speaks a word of hope, a word of hope for people who are grieving. Comfort, my people, comfort, comfort. And he speaks it in a very tender way. Look at this, uh, at the end uh, of, um, of, of the beginning of verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. He uses language of, of a parent that, that finds a child that's hurt. No one comes up to their small child who has skinned their knee and begins to teach them a lesson. Well, now look what you should have done. Now, next time you're going to listen to me. They're crying and bleeding all over the place. When you learn your lesson, I'll clean you up. It's not how parenting works. You bend down. You have compassion. You speak tenderly to them. You show love and affection, and you help clean them off. The father speaks tenderly, and he uses parental language. He says, comfort, comfort, look down. My people. My people, even after their rebellion, my people, even after their rebellion, I am your God. He gives this parental tenderness, even though they've been rebellious, and reinforces the personal nature. The, the comf- God comforts by his work. Now, he, God keeps his covenant faithfulness because he's a God whose faithfulness to his people, to you and to me, to those who believe is based on his work and not our performance. He gives, us, uh, he gives us promises of the covenant that are found in him and him alone and in his work. And you see this clearly. He, first of all, he has, he's a God that gives infinite promises. You can remember if you're a student of the Bible at all, then well, you realize things start to get ruined in God's good creation in Genesis 3. When, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, they reject his word. In his design, sin enters the world. It enters hearts, it enters relationships, it enters culture, society. There's a separation between God and humanity, humanity and humanity one another, and humanity and creation. And God makes a promise. He promised in Genesis chapter 3.15 that he will make things right. It would be the offspring of the woman. And the greater infinite promise goes all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. And that's even a theme that Isaiah is going to pick up all the way in Isaiah 55. It's so fun. You're going to love Isaiah. You're going to love it. <laughs> But there's this infinite promise that God gives his people, but there's also a very intimate promise. This intimate, when we turn to him by faith, we can experience it personally. That the cosmic God who rules over all things and is ordering history according to his purposes also wants to engage you personally and bring restoration and renewal. And look what's offered. When you just come to him through his work, there, this is what it looks like. First, uh, warfare has ended. He says, cry to her. Tell her that your warfare has ended. That's peace. He says, your iniquity, your sin has been pardoned. That's forgiveness. He says that you have received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. That means judgment is complete. His work is finished. You can have a new beginning. Look at that. There's personal language. There's peaceful consequences. The warfare has ended. You want peace now? Turn to Christ. 
the finished work of God. You want peace with your past? You want, you want all the sin in your past that you regret, all the sin in your past, the decisions that you've made, the ones that you tend to define yourself when you're honest in your quiet moments that you might consider yourself damaged goods? You want peace with that? Turn to the finished work of God. Your sin is pardoned. You want to begin again? You want to have a new beginning in Christ? Then allow yourself to understand that judgment is complete. That's peace in the present. It's peace with the past. It's peace with your future. And it's peace that's in familial language. It comes from this comfort. It's a theme in Isaiah that the victory of God and the salvation of God brings new beginnings to the people of God. Look at uh, the writing in, in Isaiah chapter 12 when he first talks about comfort. The prophet says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to the Lord. You, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might what? Can we say that together? That you might what? Comfort me. That's right. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. When we turn to God in his finished work, we experience his comfort. We have peace with our past, peace in our present, and peace with our future as we get to begin again. But, you know, oftentimes we reject this parental invitation, the speaking tenderly of our Father, and we try to do things in our own understanding in our own ways. I was reminded of what that looks like when I was talking to a, a new friend of mine in the city. We want to be a people, the church in San Antonio, in this place in particular, where we stand for life in every realm of life. One way we want to do that is through fostering and through adopting. And one of my friends who uh, was telling me a story, he's a new friend of mine, of, of them adopting their daughter. His phenomenal story. This, the, you go, we go through the adoption process, a foster process, and you're actually have an opportunity at times, if you're going to adopt, to, to look and, and read about some of the children that are uh, available, and there's thousands of them in our city. There's a huge need. And there was one little girl in particular, and this girl had been passed from family member to family member when she was very young. And when CPS found out that she had been abused by one of the family members, they had to take her away from family and move her into the foster care system. Well, here was the problem, that this little girl had spent so much of her life, the majority of her life, defending herself, protecting herself, trying to stand up for herself, not trusting love, not trusting any sort of authority, that when she was actually moved into a, from foster care to foster care house, she began to act out and no one could take it. And she was passed from family member to family member, from foster care system to foster care system. And this guy, this new friend I met, uh, was telling me that when his wife and he were praying about who to adopt, they were drawn to her. And they decided to begin the adoption process. And they brought her into her home. And you like to hear a story like this and say, man, everything was great, warm and fuzzy. It was so beautiful. It was terrorizing. The girl had been traumatized. She had no idea how to trust love. She had no idea how to make peace with life. She was at war with herself, war with anybody. And it took years and years of this husband and wife to say, we love you. We're going to speak tenderly to you. You're our child now. You're not going anywhere. You can trust us. We want to give you a safe place. We want to give you restoration. We want to give you hope. We want you to be everything God made you to be. She would push it away. And she wouldn't trust it. She wouldn't listen to the voice of her father. It took years until now she has this very trusting relationship with her parents. 
and she's flourishing. And all of what she battled, her abuse, the trauma from being passed from family to family, now this little girl is a warrior of redemption, showing love and hope to others. What was her enemy? It's just a tool in her hands, in God's hands through her, to bring about hope and renewal. And we're like that little girl so often in our own, rest, our own ruin of life. God says, come to me. I want to give you rest. I want to restore you with my word, my work. Your sin is forgiven. You're pardoned. You can begin again. And we resist it and we fight it because we experience it in the world and all of the relationships. And you might not have grown up in a foster care system, but maybe you did. And you say, I don't trust love. I don't trust relationships. And I don't trust you, God. And God says, I want to sing over you. I want to restore you. And the very things that you think are your enemy, that you think might define you, I want those to be tools in my hand. God brings comfort through his work. But he also, he brings comfort, he brings strength by his word. His work is complete. He is covenantly faithful. And he strengthens us by his word. Do you believe the word of God? A voice cries, says the prophet at the beginning of chapter 3. A voice cries. We're on the second point now. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. You might be saying, it's a new year. Can we just be a little more excited, Mitchell? Yes, this is exciting. All right. We find ourselves in seasons of the wilderness, but there's a voice that cries out, prepare a way for the Lord. And in the season of exile where uh, the people of God found themselves, in the season of hopelessness, in the season of brokenness, a voice cried out. This voice is a voice of victory. Prepare the way for the Lord. This voice is a voice of total sovereignty. That where there are valleys, they'll be lifted up. Where there is desert, there will be fruitfulness. Where there is rugged terrain, there will be smooth places to walk. Where there are curves and cutbacks and jags, there will be a straight way. Prepare the way for the Lord. Well, can I trust this? Absolutely. Because we know the fulfillment of this very prophecy was John the Baptist, who the Elijah figure would come and make way for the ultimate king of victory, Jesus Christ. He who in John 3.30 said, he must become greater, I must become less. Yes, it's a voice of victory, the word of victory. But second, it's a word of promise. The king would come. Look down at the, at the uh, real quick at verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord. This is the glory of God's very presence. This is the glory that Isaiah saw when he was called in Isaiah 6, when he saw the cherubim in the throne of heaven, and he saw the glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the sea. This is the glory of the total fulfillment of God's covenant promise that he would be with his people. The glory would be revealed. It's a word of promise. The word glory in Isaiah is repeated 37 times. And in these last 26, 27 chapters, I'm not really good at math, I'm sorry. From 40 to 66, it's repeated 17 times. It's a word of promise for all of humanity who would believe. All flesh, all flesh here, all flesh then, all flesh for eternity. It's a word of victory, it's a word of promise, and it's a word of guarantee. 
Because God, his word, when he speaks, it is eternal. And this is where we repeat every week. What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass weathers. The flower fades. All flesh is grass. Spoken to a people who are in exile underneath Babylon, the most powerful empire of the day. King Nebuchadnezzar comes, he's grass. He would later, Cyrus, king of Persia, would later come, he's grass. All flesh is grass. How many of you all are afraid of grass? If you're afraid of grass, then you've got a problem. I mean, literally, that's some sort of phobia, I'm sure. They, oh my goodness, grass. Ah! No one's afraid of grass. Grass withers, grass dies. You step on grass, you beat grass, you mow grass, you take grass outside and put it in a trash can and people take it away, you never see it again. Grass is removed. All flesh is grass. It is temporal, but the word of God is eternal. It perishes, but the word of God is imperishable. All flesh is grass. What do we fear in life, friends? The word of God, it is the one that strengthens us. Where do you turn for strength in your your struggles? Where do you turn for strength to find hope? Where do you turn in your places of ruin where you long for restoration? Are they grassy places or are they eternal places? Are there places that eventually lead to death and will be gone no more? Or are there places that lead to life? God's word in his work. God wants to speak to you. And he wants to meet you in your most ruined places, in your biggest struggles. And he wants to restore you. And what does this look like? I want to tell you a quick story about a book, uh, not a book that I read. It's actually a book that my wife read. Um, She really gets into books. And when she gets into a book, she'll tell me all about it. And then I just count it as a book that I've read. (laughs) Because we're one flesh. (laughs) Don't, Don't judge me. So... This book that I read called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts, it's by a a man named Neil White. And Neil White was actually convicted of uh, bank fraud. Uh, And he went to minimum security prison in Louisiana. And it's a story. And on the same property as a minimum security prison was the last leper colony in the United States. And Siri wants to tell Alex how to get there, apparently. So the last leper colony, and they did some things together. And it really is a story of Neil Neil White moving from this place of being a prisoner to finding freedom, of moving from ruin to finding restoration. And I just want to read you from chapter 54, this this part of the story. During a Wednesday night service, the property shared a, a worship place. And so the people who were in prison could go worship with the lepers. Listen to this. During a Wednesday night visit, and let me ask you this. I mean, do you define yourself by your ruin? Do you believe that ruin is the end of the story or do you believe in the power of the word of God that really, really, really will be a word of victory and a word of promise and restoration and renewal, a guarantee of eternal taste? No, just listen to this. This is amazing. He said, during Wednesday night service, I noticed a new leprosy patient. He sat in a pew uh, right to the right of Stan and Sarah. I'd never seen the man before, but that wasn't unusual. Patients from around the world came to Carville for special surgeries and treatment. I couldn't tell for sure, but I thought he might have been performing a ritual I had never seen before. He put the Bible to his chin and then pressed it to his mouth like he was licking the pages. 
Steve leaned over to me and he whispered, that man must have skipped dinner. When the man's face wasn't pressed against the Bible, he stared up, he rocked back and forth, and he was worshiping the Lord. And then he would put his tongue back against the pages. And during communion, I realized while standing at the altar, after getting a closer look, that this man was blind. Like most of the victims of leprosy, the man's hands were anesthetized, so braille was of no use. His fingertips could not feel the small bumps on the page, but he had found a new way to read God's word. He was reading braille with his tongue. If a blind man can learn to read braille with his tongue, then surely I can find some way to make a new start. A leper that isn't defined by his circumstances, but who believes that there's still restoration and renewal found in the work of God, worshiping God, finding security and strength in the word of God, so desperate to read this book that he would do so with his tongue. You believe? When we believe and we turn, as we come to the table, I want to remind you real quick that we can have hope. Can you put the hope slide on the screen? You can have hope. You can remember that, yes, God does care. Yes, he is able. Yes, he is willing. Put it all up there, please. Only the Lord can save you. Only recentering on the work and word of the Lord and coming to him and tasting his glory will give you the restoration that you long for. And by the way, friends, that's why we want to make New Year's resolutions, because we long for restoration. But it's only the promises of God that are reliable, only the promises of God that are going to be eternal, only the promises of God are worth ingesting so that you can have the security and learn to trust them and obey. And everyone who believes God in his word, everyone can experience this revelation. Everyone can experience the restoration. And the question really is, whose word do you believe? Because it was the word made flesh that came that was a fulfillment of all God's promises. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Jesus Christ, the glory of God revealed, he came. He was actually ruined so that we could be restored. Jesus Christ actually died so that we could live. He took our judgment on the cross, what we deserve for breaking the commands of God, for testing the laws of not gravity, but of God, for breaking those and deserving to be broken and killed. He was actually broken and killed for us. And we come to the table, this isn't just a memorial. We don't come and saying, man, wasn't that just great that Jesus did that for us? It is true, but it's more than that. We come to this table, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Christ, this table's for you. It's not a first pres table. This is Jesus's table. And we come to be nourished by grace. And while Jesus is locally present at the right hand of the Father, he is spiritually present in this meal and he wants to feed you. He wants in your mortality to taste his immortality. He wants you in your unrighteousness to taste his righteousness. He wants you in your death to be nourished on his life. He has grace for all who believe. We know we can have restoration through the work of Jesus Christ, guaranteed and made sure by the word of God, because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed so that we could be accepted. And on that night, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body 
given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. New covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in church. Let me tell you, he's going to come again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to this table that you give us tangible sign of your covenant, this sacrament, that we can come and taste the physical bread and physical cup and be nourished by your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would set these common and ordinary elements apart by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would revive our hearts, that you would help us to taste the restoration that is found in you. You are the word of God and you are the work of God. And we long to taste your glory. Be with us now in Jesus' name, amen.